We're continuing on with our sermon series in Matthew. If you're a visitor here this morning, it's your first time here. Uh, from last September, we've just started at the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew at chapter 1. And we're just taking some time. Uh, we don't know how long it'll take, uh, either until God tells me to stop or the people stop coming on a Sunday morning, uh, either one of those reasons, uh, then we'll stop. But we're just finding that we're getting some great stuff out of the Gospel of Matthew. And we're continuing it on this morning because we want to look at a passage, um, Matthew 8, verse 18 to 22, that we'll read out in a second. And it's all to do with uh, being a disciple. It is relevant to all of us, whether we're new or on the road, whether last week was the decision that we made to give our life to Christ and we started on that road to discipleship. But we've been on the road for a long time. Uh, one of the invitations that Jesus gives to people in the book of Matthew um, is for people to become his disciples. Uh, the vision of our church for the three years that we're in at the moment is the invitation Jesus gives an invitation for people to come to him and to go for him. And that's really the heart of what we're about as a church. We invite people, and that's what last week was about. We invited people to church to hear the message. But it doesn't just stop there. It, it, it begins there. Uh, and so we're glad that people accept that invitation to come to Jesus. I read this quote about discipleship. Anybody who knows me knows like a good quote. And this one's to do with food, which is even better. It says, true discipleship is about inviting someone to the table, providing a feast, and then teaching them to feed themselves so they can prepare a meal for someone else. That's a wonderful description of discipleship, of what we're to do as followers of Jesus Christ, because everybody loves food. Do you know what it's like when you go and eat in a nice restaurant? The first thing that you want to do is you want to tell everybody how nice the food was, isn't it? That's why you, if you go and eat somewhere, or if you hear that somebody has gone to eat in a restaurant, you want to tell them, you know, you want to tell other people. You're going to ask people and say, you know, what's that place like to eat? And if they say, oh, well, that's lovely, you love it there, and all of this. So, you know, so well, we understand that with food, and we understand it even more whenever, you know, we go to a place and, you know, it's like, it's like a feast, you know, it, it, it's like a buffet. You know, where you just eat as much as you want, when you want. doesn't have to be particularly any good, but there's plenty of food there and stuff. You'd, I remember going out for a meal once and uh, sitting there eating my dinner and there was somebody that I knew was in the restaurant and stuff, got chatting to them. And when I went up to pay the bill at the end of the, the, the evening, uh, says the waiter said to me, he says, listen, you know, the, somebody has already paid uh, for your meal. You know, that, that's always very encouraging, isn't it? It's always you feel blessed, you know, because it wasn't a cheap place to eat and stuff. It must have been a special occasion because I do splash out a little bit when it's anniversary or, or, or birthday, you know, stretched to another fiver, you know. So, <laughs> so I remember thinking to myself, when somebody had said to me, the waiter said to me, he said, you know, somebody had paid for your meal. And you know what I thought in that moment? I wish I'd had a dessert as well. <laughs> Uh, because when it comes to it, we understand what it means to be food. And it sums up the Christian life here when we talk about discipleship. You know, somebody invited me once to the table of discipleship. And I gave my life to Jesus Christ. 
And then from that point, I realised that there was a plan and purpose for my life, not just to come to him, but also to go for him as well. And for the past 30 years, that's what I've aimed to do in my life, imperfectly, sometimes wrongly, and a bit messed up sometimes, but that is still the aim of what I try to do. So that's why that sums that up, that Jesus does this with discipleship. He invites people to come, and then he sends people out to go. So we're going to take a quick look before we look at the Bible passage, answering this question, what is a disciple? A disciple is a follower, one who accepts and assists in spreading the doctrines of others. So a disciple could be somebody who follows anybody. We're, uh, we're concerned this morning, our, our intention this morning is to explain to you what a Christian disciple is. is a person who follows Jesus Christ and accepts and assists in the spreading of the good news of salvation through him. Then he makes such a difference in your life by the decision that you've made that you want to go and tell people about him. Now actually this is a difference he has made, so you want to go and tell somebody the good news. If you get some good news about something, if you win something, if, you know, you want to go and tell people uh, the good news. You know, I haven't mentioned this in a while, but a few years ago I got invited to Buckingham Palace. <laughs> Now, some of you have heard this before, like, but when I found out I got invited to Buckingham Palace, I mean, I told everybody, at least four or five times. I mean, there was no, and I didn't care if people rolled their eyes. I didn't care if people got fed up with telling me. I just thought they were jealous because I was going to Buckingham Palace. <laughs> that was my good news, and we have good news. We want to tell people. You know, if we have a newborn baby, we, we don't keep the news hidden, do we? Yeah, we don't wait six weeks to tell everybody. You know, we, we want to tell people. The proud dads want to do the Lion King. Ah, you know, the, you know, show the baby off. That's what you want to do. You don't hide it. Because we want to share the good news with people. And that's what a Christian disciple is. It's a process by which disciples grow in the Lord Jesus Christ. They're equipped by the indwelling Holy Spirit to overcome the pressures and trials of this present life and become more and more Christ-like. There is an aim in the discipleship of Christ. He wants us to make us more like Jesus. He doesn't want to make us perfect because we'll never be perfect. We just can't be perfect. We will be perfect one day, but it won't be while we are here. But it requires us to respond to the Holy Spirit's prompting to, to allow him to examine our thoughts, our words and our actions to compare them with the word of God, which is the greatest tool we've been given in discipleship. And that requires us to be in the word daily, to study it, to obey it, to listen to it. It's important for me to say this, that discipleship is not perfection, but direction. Giving your life to Christ doesn't mean that you will become perfect overnight. There are none of us that are perfect. We will be perfect one day, but it won't be this side of heaven. But what we do get, instead of perfection, is direction. This is the way we're to live our lives now. This is the life that we live as we give it to Christ. But what does that mean according to the Bible? Because it involves some things that we have to do. Well, the first thing is this, is putting Jesus first in all things. We're set apart from the world and we focus on Christ. He says that we don't just add on Christ to our lives and carry on living the way that we're living well, what we do is we put Christ first. It's like earlier in Matthew when it says, seek first the kingdom of God. Those first two words, seek first 
number one, the top in all things and stuff. And that can be a challenge because there are some things that we do in life, there are some things that happen to us in life that challenges us in that area. There are things that we do that we have to put to the side because we're putting Christ first in all things. The second thing that we do is we have to be obedient to his teachings. We find his teachings in the word of God. You cannot be a disciple of Jesus Christ without being in the word of God. So that's where we find his teachings. So we're obedient to his teachings. And his teachings are not suggestions for us to do if we think that's a good idea. So when he tells us that we have to forgive people, it's not like, well, let me think about it, God, and maybe, but you don't know what they've done, God, and you don't know how hard it is for me not to do that. You know, God, you don't know what it's like. He does know what it's like. But putting him first means we're obedient to his teachings, that we want to live our life for him. The third thing is this, is we see that we bear fruit. Now, what do I mean by bear fruit? It simply means that people know the decision we've made by the life that we live. You know, that we actually don't need to tell people that, that actually we've got saved or we've made the decision to live for Christ or, or whatever it is. People can just see something about us in our lives. There's a different way that we react to things. There's a difference of something happening to us in our life. And that's producing fruit. But that's producing fruit because we now have Christ in our lives. And you see, producing fruit is not necessarily our job. It's not that our job, our job is to simply follow Christ, to put him first, to obey his teachings, uh, and then the, the fruit will come. You know, those people who do the, the gardening here and plant things, he says, my mum is an avid gardener, it's an expert gardener and stuff. Unfortunately, it didn't pass down to me because I'm useless at gardening. But I did try once, and I remember trying to grow uh, an apple tree and, uh, and, and I planted it in the ground and nothing grew out of it. Now, of course, what I did when my mum came over to visit, you know, of course, I, I asked her, what have I done wrong? And mothers always like to point out, you know, they always like to give you a detailed description of what you've done wrong, you know, because you ask that question. So that's what she did. And she said, you haven't put the roots deep enough. You know, she said, that's why it's not growing. And I thought to myself, that, at that point, I just gave up. and went and bought me apples from Tesco's like everybody else. <laughs> But the point of it was the roots were not deep enough. But it taught me a lesson about our Christian life that actually we've got to have deep roots. If you want good fruit, have deep roots. And deep roots means doing all the things that we've talked about here. It says the fourth thing that we see is loving others. When we give our life over to Christ, there is something that changes. It means that we love other people. It says, I'm not saying we don't love other people before we got saved, but after we get saved, we love others. Our reaction is different. It calls us sometimes to love the people. Sometimes we don't even like. Sometimes the people that irritate us and get on our nerves. I often say in this church, and they can repeat it, you're thinking of somebody now, aren't you? <laughs> yes, yeah. How are you not thinking of me? And anyway... And, and that's it, we're loving others. We're, we're, that's the, the job. I mean, Jesus says in John, as clear as anything, he, he says, this is how people will know you're my disciples. Not how high you lift your hands in the air and worship. All the big words you use in prayer. All the Bible memory verses that you can learn. Uh, Jesus doesn't say any of that. He says, this is how you know my, you're my disciples, if you love one another. <laughs> 
he almost picks the hardest thing to do because, you know, listens, lifting the hands in worship and praying big words and, and learning memory verses, we could cope with that because it doesn't involve other people. But Jesus says, you'll know, you're my, people will know you're my disciples by you loving one another. He makes it absolutely clear there. And then the fifth thing that he says, he says, make other disciples. So we could, in summing up, simply say this, that a Christian disciple is one who puts Jesus first, obeys his word, produces good fruit, loves others, and makes more disciples. We do not just look at it and say it is a decision that we make one night. We are now at the beginning of the process, not the end of the process, when we give our life to Christ. Which brings me on to this before... We read the passage that discipleship is a lifetime process. That for each and every one of us, whether we've been on the road for 40 years, 50 years, a week, it is a lifetime process of God working in our lives, changing us to be the people that he wants us to be. In Matthew chapter 8, Jesus has a conversation with two people about discipleship. He challenges them about the cost of discipleship and the challenge of discipleship. Now here, just give some context of what Jesus is doing. Uh, Matthew, the writer, he walks us through a series of ten miracles that Jesus does in chapters 8, 9 and 10. His authority has already been heard in his words because Jesus has spoken the Sermon on the Mount and he's shared with people uh, the stuff that they need to do uh, if they were going to get into heaven, basically. That actually, the standards that were set by the religious teachers and the Pharisees were no good. That's not the standard that they were to live to. Jesus comes and he shares some stuff about loving your enemies and treating people right, and this is how you'll end up living in righteousness. And so Jesus has spoken these words, but in these chapters here, we're now seeing a revelation of the demonstration of his power by the miracles that he does so Jesus is now traveling around the villages in the area and he's praying for people and they're being healed and they're being set free and things are happening and there is a commotion being caused because of what Jesus has done and because of this Jesus has attracted a following He's been making these bold claims, teaching with amazing authority, performing miracles, and of course people want to follow him now. They want to see what he's about. They're attracted by some of the stuff that he's doing. And so Jesus comes and he wants to get a boat to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And so Jesus has spent some time praying for people, healing them, but the crowd has simply become too big. Uh, and, and we see here, as we pick it up in Matthew chapter 8, verse 18 to 22, it says, When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. People will come to Jesus for all sorts of reasons. Uh, uh, they are drawn by his teaching 
or they are attracted by his miracles. These were the people here. Here we see that there are two people that have come to Jesus and asked him about following him, about being his disciple. One, it tells us who they are. They're a teacher of the law and another disciple. And they both come with legitimate reasons. They both come with genuine reasons to say, hey, listen, we, we want to follow you. We, we like the stuff that you say. We're amazed by the miracles that you've done. We want to follow you. Uh, but there is a problem here and we see it really summed up here the cost of following Jesus applies to the teacher of the law and the challenge of following Jesus applies to the disciple there is a price to pay in both cases neither had counted the cost of discipleship uh, it simply meant this that the teacher of the law had simply come here uh, and he says I will follow you wherever you go and Jesus says well listen I, I'm not sure where I'm laying my head tonight I'm not sure where I am uh, sleeping. He's not presenting them. These are the rewards of following me. This is almost the de job description of you following me. I will be able to provide three square meals a day, a bed for you to sleep on at night, and uh, clothing allowance, and all the other stuff that people might expect. He says, the teacher of the law is not getting that. Jesus says, I don't know where I'm sleeping tonight. This is what it means to follow me. That doesn't mean everybody who agrees to follow Jesus or makes that decision to follow Jesus needs to make themselves homeless. That's not what it means. That's taking it to the extreme. The point of this message is this, is counting the cost of discipleship, counting the cost of following Jesus from the beginning. Because it's not just a decision we make on one evening where we're moved to do this or God does something in our life. That God actually lays it out in front of said this is the cost of discipleship uh, and it's actually the best thing you can do with your life it might look difficult it might look a challenge and at times there are going to be times when it's difficult and that but the reality is that there is a price to pay to be a disciple means knowing what you have to give up and knowing what you have to take up because there is a cost to doing it you see the cost and the challenge here it's not that we must give up all things, but that we must lay down all things and take up the one thing Jesus asks us to, the cross. In Luke, in Matthew 16, 24, sorry, it says, and Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. We're in a period of the year called Lent at the moment. And often people ask questions about Lent because it approaches Easter and people will ask you, you know, do you believe in it? Do you, do you? No, I don't really get into all of that. What I really get into is all of this is Jesus does not command us in a sense to give up stuff, but he does command us to take up stuff. And the command that he gives us is to take up the cross daily. He says that's what we're commanded to do. I appreciate there is an effort in giving up chocolate or coffee for the time period that people do. And if people feel that is their spiritual walk, then that, that's not an issue with that. But the reality is when we come to this, is actually, it's not the stuff that we must give up. It's the stuff that we must take up. And he asks us to take up the cross. But he says that we must deny ourselves, which means deny everything that we think should come first in our life, everything that we're seeking after, and follow him. Uh, and that's a huge challenge. That's a massive challenge. It was a massive challenge for the teacher of the law. And it was a massive challenge for the disciple. Because to truly follow Jesus Christ, we must consider the cost and put him above everything else. You notice this. Jesus didn't tell him, you can't follow me. He didn't tell him that. He didn't say, no, I'm sorry, you can't follow me. 
He just gave him the reasons, the cost of following him. He turned and said to the two of them, this is the cost. One, the cost would be, I don't know where I'm sleeping tonight. The second situation that we'll look at in a minute, it meant even putting him above his family and stuff. He didn't tell them that they couldn't follow him. He told them the truth without painting a glamorized version of what it was like to follow him. If you talk to anybody who's been a, a believer on the road for a while, as we've heard this morning, he says, they will tell you that often at times it is harder sometimes to follow the Christian walk, to put Jesus first in your life. It is the most worthwhile thing you can do with the life. But I would be failing you if I stood here on this Sunday and said to you, it's easy, it's a bed of roses, you'll never have any hard times, you'll never be ill, your health will always be good, you'll always have a job, you'll always have plenty of money. All of these things, if I told you that, I would be lying to you. The one thing I can guarantee you as you follow Jesus is he gives you the absolute certainty and assurance that he is with you through everything that you face. Notice when he says this here, he says as he walks with them daily, those who take up his cross daily means that Christ is with them daily. And so it'd be wrong of me to suggest in a sense that this was easy somehow, that this wouldn't have any hardships or difficulties or there would be no trouble. There will be, but he is with you through it all. There will be, but he never lets you go. There will be, and he never lets you down. He says, so we see here that, that we see that. And it brings us on to the second person here. Because sometimes people read this. And I think that's a bit harsh of Jesus. That he's simply saying to somebody, listen, hey, you know what? Let them bury your dad. Almost like the dad had just passed away in that moment. But I think there's some context for us to think of here that helps us when we do this. Because the disciple is saying, I want to follow you, but first I have other things to do. I've lost count of the number of people who will sit and say, I know it's right to become a Christian and to give my life to God, but I want to do it later on. But I want to do it this time next year. But I want to do it when I sort this out. I want to do it, and people will give me all sorts of reasons why they don't want to do it now. And you know, the danger is we have no guarantee of what may happen in the future. None of us can see what may happen in the future. None of us can see the difficulties we have. And Jesus presents a sense of urgency here. Uh, to the second son when he simply says hey listen you know th there is none of this oh you know if I do everything else and I can come you know Jesus presents to him the challenge you know and, and it's simply this is not that his dad had died at that moment he probably was the oldest son and he had a responsibility uh, to his family uh, and he was putting it off following Jesus till his dad had passed away because the, the, without going into loads of detail there was, a whole, uh, there was a whole funeral ritual, ceremonial ritual that had to be done by the oldest son. So the, the oldest son is simply saying this, I want to follow you Jesus but not just yet. There, there are other things in the way. And we may look at that and think that's an extreme point there. We might look at it and say, well, well how hard can Jesus be here? Jesus is not being hard on him. He's showing him the reality of what it means to follow him. That at times you have to put everything, 
everything in second place to put him in first place. That's a challenge sometimes. If we're in a job, uh, you know, we didn't put our job first, we have to put Christ first. Even in our families sometimes when we're faced with difficulties and challenges, we have to put Christ first and not our family first. That's a challenge for a lot of people. This is why I say this is not easy. This is not an easy road to travel. It's a worthwhile road because Jesus Christ is with us and Jesus shares that story almost to show the point of what he's about. That listen, following me is not easy, but it's worthwhile putting me first. You know, the, the young man, the disciple, knew that he should do it, but he felt there was a good reason why he could not do it now. But see, to be a disciple of Christ means making him the highest absolute priority above all else. You cannot worship Christ as Lord on a part-time basis or alongside other competing loyalties. When you look at your time now, you're saying, well, do I used to say this when I was the youth pastor, uh, and, you know, if they listen to one thing they always where you are at 10 it used to be 11 o'clock because we used to have church at 11 o'clock where you are at 10 30 on a Sunday morning tells you a lot about your journey of discipleship Oof. where am I sometimes people are ministering to the duvet sometimes people are looking and there are other things on all well-meaning things kids sports events and all things that are good but it's not putting Christ first. Oof. And, you know, and things like that. And that's the sort of challenge that Jesus throws out here. It's not my challenge. It says, I'm only reading the words that I read this morning about discipleship. That actually there are good loyalties and there are right loyalties. And listen, his loyalty to his father and the, his mother was absolutely right. Uh, there was nothing wrong with that. Nobody's criticizing him. Jesus is teaching a lesson here about those who have just said, not yet. You know, it's almost like Jesus is saying, you know, listen, you're either all in. There is no room for not yet. You know, no room for what may happen further down the line because we don't know what may happen. And if you at the beginning turn around and say, but these, I'm divided with my loyalties, you know, as a believer, you'll only last a short time because those loyalties will take you off your walk with Christ because you've seen it so many times with so many people. And that's why it's a real challenge to do it. It's the best challenge to take on because Christ is with us. But we must understand this, that there is no such thing as a costless Christianity. That which costs nothing is usually worth nothing, means nothing, and achieves nothing. And that's a challenge that we faced. It might seem harsh when he says, let the dead bury their dead, but it was needful. It was actually loving of Jesus to say that. He was trying to help this man. Because above all else, what Christ Jesus wants with every single person, it's why we did the four nights of heaven's gates and the two days of rehearsing, while we all overdosed on caffeine and Coke Zero, and everybody came after work and stayed late, why everybody did everything they did, because Christ wants everybody to have the opportunity to be saved. He's not making it difficult. He's saying, this is the reality of what it means to follow me. This is the reality of not just making a decision, but being one of my disciples. And that's the challenge. And that's the challenge that he throws out. You see, when we look at this, we look at it and say that there are two problems here. The problem with the teacher was his expectation of following Jesus. The problem with the second disciple is his hesitation 
in following Jesus. It's a challenge that we come to this morning, isn't it? When we read it and look at it, and for each person here, and I don't know everybody's story, but I do know this. It says, if your expectation is wrong, you can come to Christ now and say, Christ, what I need to do is put everything in second place and put you first. If your problem is hesitation, you need to say to Christ, forgive me for the not yet. Forgive me for the things I'm attempting to sort out before I come to you. You know, you often meet people who, 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 who want to try and get their life sorted before they come to Christ. You know, I mean, it's a little bit like going to the doctor. and uh, Make an appointment to see a doctor. And then you're trying to sort of fix yourself medically. You would never walk into the doctor and say, Doctor, it's okay. I'm okay now. I've sorted myself out. The doctor would say, hold on a second, with all the years, training and experience I have, you've been onto Google and you've looked at the symptoms and said, I've got that's wrong with me, I'm sorted out. We wouldn't try to do that. Why do we do that with Jesus Christ? We come to him as we are. And he's the one that does everything that needs to be done in our life. Being a disciple of Jesus Christ is the greatest thing that you can do with your life. It not only affects your eternal destiny as we looked at through the production that we put on, it, it, it directs our life as well. It changes our life. It changes who we are as we become his disciples, as we follow him with everything that we do. And that's a wonderful challenge that we face this morning. Let's not let our expectation keep us from him this morning or let our hesitation keep him from this morning. Let us pray. Father, we come before you this morning. We thank you for your word. Father, there is a cost and a challenge to being your disciple. Oh, Father, we thank you. There is no better decision that we can make, Lord, than giving our lives to you and following you, knowing that we are forgiven of our sin. And Father, as we have rejoiced and celebrated this morning, we pray for those in here, Lord. Father, where their expectation might be wrong, Lord, you fix that we pray for people where their hesitation may be wrong would you fix that for father your desire is that people would follow you would take up their cross daily would deny themselves and follow you what a wonderful challenge on this journey of life that we have father we thank you for that assurance you never leave us you do not forsake us you do not deny us, you lead us, you guide us, you support us. You're always with us. And for that we say thank you this morning. For Father, we rejoice in what you have done in the changing of so many lives in this church this morning. And for that we say hallelujah. And we say amen. In Jesus' name, amen.